December the 17th through to December the 23rd of Morning and Evening Daily Readings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dave. Morning and Evening Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon. Morning, December the 17th. I remember thee. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 2. Let us note that Christ delights to think upon his church and to look upon her beauty. As the bird returneth often to its nest and as the wayfarer hastens to his home, so doth the mind continually pursue the object of its choice. We cannot look too often upon that face which we love. We desire always to have our precious things in our sight. It is even so with our Lord Jesus. From all eternity, His delights were with the sons of men. His thoughts rolled onward to the time when His elect should be born into the world. He viewed them in the mirror of His foreknowledge. In thy book, He says, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Psalm 139, verse 16. When the world was set upon its pillars, he was there, and he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Many a time before his incarnation, he descended to this lower earth in the similitude of a man, on the plains of Mamre, Genesis chapter 18, by the brook of Jabbok, Genesis 32, verses 24 through 30, beneath the walls of Jericho, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and in the fiery furnace of Babylon, Daniel chapter 3, verse 19 and 25, the Son of Man visited his people. Because his soul delighted in them, he could not rest away from them, for his heart longed after them. Never were they absent from his heart, for he had written their names upon his hands and graven them upon his side, as the breastplate containing the names of the tribes of Israel was the most brilliant ornament worn by the high priest, so the names of Christ's elect were his most precious jewels and glittered on his heart. We may often forget to meditate upon the perfections of our Lord, but He never ceases to remember us. Let us chide ourselves for past forgetfulness and for grace ever to bear Him in fondest remembrance. Lord, paint upon the eyeballs of my soul the image of Thy Son. Evening, December the 17th I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus, the great I Am, is the entrance into the true church, and the way of access to God himself. He gives to the man who comes to God by him four choice privileges. 1. He shall be saved. The fugitive manslayer, passed the gate of the city of refuge and was safe. Noah entered the door of the ark and was secure. 
none can be lost who take Jesus as the door of faith to their souls. Entrance through Jesus into peace is the guarantee of entrance by the same door into heaven. Jesus is the only door, an open door, a wide door, a safe door. And blessed is he who rests all his hope of admission to glory upon the crucified Redeemer. 2. He shall go in. He shall be privileged to go in among the divine family, sharing the children's bread and participating in all their honours and enjoyments. He shall go into the chambers of communion, to the banquets of love, to the treasures of the covenant, to the storehouses of the promises. He shall go in unto the King of kings in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the secret of the Lord shall be with him. 3. He shall go out. This blessing is much forgotten. We go out into the world to labour and suffer. But what a mercy to go in the name and power of Jesus. We are called to bear witness to the truth, to cheer the disconsolate, to warn the careless, to win souls, and to glorify God. And as the angel said to Gideon, Go in this thy might. Even thus the Lord would have us proceed as his messengers, in his name and strength. 4. He shall find pasture. He who knows Jesus shall never want. Going in and out shall be alike helpful to him. In fellowship with God he shall grow, and in watering others he shall be watered. Having made Jesus his all, he shall find all in Jesus. His soul shall be as a watered garden and as a well of water whose waters fail not. Morning, December the 18th. Rend your heart and not your garments. Joel chapter 2 verse 13. Garment rendering and other outward signs of religious emotion are easily manifested and are frequently hypocritical. But to feel true repentance is far more difficult, and consequently far less common. Men will attend to the most multiplied and minute ceremonial regulations, for such things are pleasing to the flesh. But true religion is too humbling, too heart-searching, too thorough for the tastes of the carnal men. They prefer something more ostentatious, flimsy and worldly. Outward observances are temporarily comfortable. Eye and ear are pleased, self-conceit is fed, and self-righteousness is puffed up, but they are ultimately delusive. For in the article of death and at the day of judgment, the soul needs something more substantial than ceremonies and rituals to lean upon. Apart from vital godliness, all religion is utterly vain. Offered without a sincere heart, every form of worship is a solemn sham and an impudent mockery of the majesty of heaven. Heart-rending is divinely wrought and solemnly felt. It is a secret grief which is personally experienced, not in mere form, but as a deep, soul-moving work of the Holy Spirit upon the inmost heart of each believer. It is not a matter to be merely talked of and believed in, but keenly and sensitively felt in every living child of the living God. 
It is powerfully humiliating and completely sin-purging. And then it is sweetly preparative for those gracious consolations which proud, unhumbled spirits are unable to receive. And it is distinctly discriminating, for it belongs to the elect of God and to them alone. The text commands us to rend our hearts, but they are naturally hard as marble. How then can this be done? We must take them to Calvary. A dying Saviour's voice rent the rocks once, and it is as powerful now. O oh, blessed Spirit, let us hear the death cries of Jesus, and our hearts shall be rent, even as men rend their vestures in the day of lamentation. Evening, December the 18th. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23. Every wise merchant will occasionally hold a stock-taking, when he will cast up his accounts, examine what he has on hand, and ascertain decisively whether his trade is prosperous or declining. Every man who is wise in the kingdom of heaven will cry, Search me, O God, and try me. And he will frequently set apart special seasons for self-examination to discover whether things are right between God and his soul. The God whom we worship is a great heart-searcher, and of old his servants knew him as the Lord which searcheth the heart and trieth the reins of the children of men. Let me stir you up in his name to make diligent search and solemn trial of your state, lest you come short of the promised rest. That which every wise man does, that which God himself does with us all, I exhort you to do with yourself this evening. Let the oldest saint look well to the fundamentals of his piety, for grey heads may cover black hearts. And let not the young professor despise the word of warning, for the greenness of youth may be joined to the rottenness of hypocrisy. Every now and then a cedar falls into our midst. The enemy still continues to sow tares among the wheat. It is not my aim to introduce doubts and fears into your mind, but I shall hope the rather that the rough wind of self-examination may help to drive them away. It is not security, but carnal security, which we would kill, not confidence, but fleshy confidence, which we would overthrow. Not peace, but false peace, which we would destroy. By the precious blood of Christ, which was not shed to make you a hypocrite, but that sincere souls might show forth his praise. I beseech you, search and look, lest at the last it be said of you, Mene, mene, tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Morning, December the 19th. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. If the disposal of the lot is the Lord's, whose is the arrangement of our whole life? If the simple casting of a lot is guided by Him, how much more the events of our entire life? especially when we are told by our blessed Saviour, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Not a sparrow falleth to the ground without your father. It would bring a holy calm over your mind, dear friend, 
if you were always to remember this. It would so relieve your mind from anxiety that you would be the better able to walk in patience, quiet and cheerfulness as a Christian should. When a man is anxious, he cannot pray with faith. When he is troubled about the world, he cannot serve his master. His thoughts are serving himself. If you would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all things would then be added unto you. You are meddling with Christ's business and neglecting your own when you fret about your lot and circumstances. You have been trying providing work and forgetting that it is yours to obey. Be wise and attend to the obeying and let Christ manage the providing. Come and survey your father's storehouse and ask whether he will let you starve while he has laid up so great an abundance in his garner. Look at his heart of mercy. See if that can ever prove unkind. Look at his inscrutable wisdom. See if that will ever be at fault. Above all, look up to Jesus Christ, your intercessor, and ask yourself, while he pleads, can your father deal ungraciously with you? If he remembers even sparrows, will he forget one of the least of his poor children? Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain thee. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. My soul, rest happy in thy low estate, nor hope thy wish to be esteemed or great. To take the impress of the will divine, be that thy glory, and those riches thine. Evening, December the 19th, and there was no more sea. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Scarcely could we rejoice at the thought of losing the glorious old ocean. The new heavens and the new earth are none the fairer to our imagination, if indeed, literally, there is to be no great and wide sea, with its gleaming waves and shelly shores. Is not the text to be read as a metaphor? tinged with the prejudice with which the oriental mind universally regarded the sea in the olden times. A real physical world without a sea, it is mournful to imagine. It would be an iron ring without the sapphire which made it precious. There must be a spiritual meaning here. In the new dispensation there will be no division. The sea separates nations and sunders peoples from each other. To John in Patmos, the deep waters were like prison walls, shutting him out from his brethren and his work. There shall be no such barriers in the world to come. Leagues of rolling billows lie between us and many a kinsman, whom tonight we prayerfully remember. But in the bright world to which we go, there shall be unbroken fellowship for all the redeemed family. In this sense there shall be no more sea. The sea is the emblem of change, with its ebbs and flows, its glassy smoothness and its mountainous billows, its gentle murmurs and its tumultuous roarings. It is never long the same. Slave of the fickle winds and the changeful moon, its instability is proverbial. In this mortal state we have too much of this. Earth is constant only in her inconsistency. But in the heavenly state... All mournful change shall be unknown, and with it all fear of storm to wreck our hopes and drown our joys. The sea of glass 
glows with a glory unbroken by a wave. No tempest howls along the peaceful shores of paradise. Soon shall we reach that happy land where partings and changes and storms shall be ended. Jesus will waft us there. Are we in him or not? This is the grand question. Morning, December the 20th. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Sometimes the Lord Jesus tells his church his love thoughts. He does not think it enough behind her back to tell it. But in her very presence, he says, Thou art all fair, my love. It is true this is not his ordinary method. He is a wise lover and knows when to keep back the intimation of his love, and when to let it out. But there are times when he will make no secret of it, times when he will put it beyond all dispute in the souls of his people. Richard Erskine's Sermons The Holy Spirit is often pleased, in a most gracious manner, to witness with our spirits of the love of Jesus. He takes of the things of Christ and reveals them unto us. No voice is heard from the clouds, and no vision is seen in the night, but we have a testimony, more sure than either of these. If an angel should fly from heaven and inform the saint personally of the Saviour's love to him, the evidence would not be one whit more satisfactory than that which is borne in the heart by the Holy Ghost. Ask those of the Lord's people who have lived the nearest to the gates of heaven, and they will tell you that they have had seasons when the love of Christ towards them has been a fact so clear and sure that they could no more doubt it than they could question their own existence. Yes, beloved believer, you and I have had times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, and then our faith has mounted to the topmost heights of assurance. We have had confidence to lean our heads upon the bosom of our Lord, and we have no more questioned our Master's affection to us than John did when in that blessed posture. Nay, nor so much, for the dark question, Lord, is it I that shall betray thee, has been put far from us. He has kissed us with the kisses of his mouth, and killed our doubts by the closeness of his embrace. His love has been sweeter than wine to our souls. Evening, December the 20th. Call thy labourers and give them their hire. Matthew chapter 20, verse 8. God is a good paymaster. He pays his servants while at work, as well as when they have done it. And one of his payments is this, an easy conscience. If you have spoken faithfully of Jesus to one person, when you go to bed at night, you feel happy in thinking, I have this day discharged my conscience of that man's blood. There is a great comfort in doing something for Jesus. Oh, what a happiness to place jewels in his crown and give him to see of the travail of his soul. There is also very great reward in watching the first buddings of conviction in a soul. To say of that girl in the class she is tender of heart, I do hope that there is the Lord's work within. To go home and pray over that boy who said something in the afternoon which made you think he must know more of divine truth than you had feared. Oh, the joy of hope! But as for the joy of success, it is unspeakable. 
This joy, overwhelming as it is, is a hungry thing. You pine for more of it. To be a soul winner is the happiest thing in the world. With every soul you bring to Christ, you get a new heaven upon earth. But who can conceive the bliss which awaits us above? Oh, how sweet is that sentence! Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Do you know what the joy of Christ is over a saved sinner? This is the very joy which we are to possess in heaven. Yes, when he mounts the throne, you shall mount with him. When the heavens ring with well done, well done, you shall partake in the reward. You have toiled with him, you have suffered with him, you shall now reign with him. You have sown with him, you shall reap with him. Your face was covered with sweat like his, and your soul was grieved for the sins of men as his soul was. Now shall your face be bright with heaven's splendor, as is his countenance. And now shall your soul be filled with beatific joys, even as his soul is. Monday, December the 21st. Yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 5. This covenant is divine in its origin. He hath made with me an everlasting covenant. Oh, how great that word, he! Stop, my soul! God, the everlasting Father, has positively made a covenant with thee. Yes, that God who spake the world into existence by a word. He, stooping from his majesty, takes hold of thy hand and makes a covenant with thee. Is it not a deed, the stupendous condescension of which might ravish our hearts for ever, if we could really understand it? He hath made with me a covenant. A king has not made a covenant with me. That were somewhat. But the prince of the kings of the earth, Shaddai, the Lord all-sufficient, the Jehovah of ages, the everlasting Elohim, he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. But notice, it is particular in its application. Yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant. Here lies the sweetness of it to each believer. It is naught for me that he made peace for the world. I want to know whether he made peace for me. It is little that he hath made a covenant. I want to know whether he has made a covenant with me. Blessed is the assurance that he hath made a covenant with me. If God the Holy Ghost gives me assurance of this, then his salvation is mine, his heart is mine, he himself is mine, he is my God. This covenant is everlasting in its duration. An everlasting covenant means a covenant which had no beginning and which shall never, never end. How sweet amidst all the uncertainties of life to know that the foundation of the Lord standeth sure and to have God's own promise. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Like dying David, I will sing of this, even though my house be not so with God as my heart desireth. Evening, December the 21st. I clothed thee also with broidered work, and shod thee with badger's skin, and I girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. Ezekiel 
chapter 16, verse 10. See with what matchless generosity the Lord provides for his people's apparel. They are so arrayed that the divine skill is seen producing an unrivaled broidered work in which every attribute takes its part and every divine beauty is revealed. No art like the art displayed in our salvation. No cunning workmanship like that beheld in the righteousness of the saints. Justification has engrossed learned pens in all ages of the church and will be the theme of admiration in eternity. God has indeed curiously wrought it. With all this elaboration, there is mingled utility and durability, comparable to our being shod with badger skins. The animal here meant is unknown, but its skin covered the tabernacle and formed one of the finest and strongest leathers known. The righteousness which is of God by faith endureth forever. And he who is shod with this divine preparation will tread the desert safely and may even set his foot upon the lion and the adder. Purity and dignity of our holy vesture are brought out in the fine linen. When the Lord sanctifies his people, they are clad as priests in pure white. Not the snow itself excels them. They are in the eyes of men and angels fair to look upon and even in the Lord's eyes they are without spot. Meanwhile, the royal apparel is delicate and rich as silk. No expense is spared, no beauty withheld, no daintiness denied. What then? Is there no inference from this? Surely there is gratitude to be felt and joy to be expressed. Come, my heart, refuse not thy evening alleluia. Tune thy pipes, Touch thy cords. Strangely, my soul, art thou arrayed by the great sacred three. In sweetest harmony of praise, let all thy powers agree. Morning, December the 22nd. I will strengthen thee. Isaiah 41, verse 10. God has a strong reserve with which to discharge this engagement. For he is able to do all things, believer, till thou canst drain dry the ocean of omnipotence, till thou canst break into pieces the towering mountains of almighty strength, thou never needest to fear. Think not that the strength of man shall ever be able to overcome the power of God. Whilst the earth's huge pillars stand, thou hast enough reason to abide firm in thy faith. The same God who directs the earth in its orbit, who feeds the burning furnace of the sun and trims the lamps of heaven, has promised to supply thee with daily strength. While he is able to uphold the universe, dream not that he will prove unable to fulfill his own promises. Remember what he did in the days of old, in the former generations. Remember how he spake and it was done, how he commanded and it stood fast. Shall he that created the world grow weary? He hangeth the world upon nothing. Shall he who doth this be unable to support his children? Shall he be unfaithful to his word for want of power? Who is it that restrains the tempest? Doth not he ride upon the wings of the wind, and make the clouds his chariots, and hold the ocean in the hollow of his hand? 
How can he fail thee? When he has put such a faithful promise as this on record, wilt thou for a moment indulge the thought that he has outpromised himself and gone beyond his power to fulfil? Ah, no, thou canst doubt no longer. O thou who art my God and my strength, I can believe that this promise shall be fulfilled, for the boundless reservoir of thy grace can never be exhausted, and the overflowing storehouse of thy strength can never be emptied by thy friends or rifled by thine enemies. Now let the feeble all be strong, and make Jehovah's arm their song. Evening, December the 22nd, the spot of his children. Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 5. What is the secret spot which infallibly betokens the child of God? It were vain presumption to decide this upon our own judgment, but God's word reveals it to us, and we may tread surely where we have revelation to be our guide. Now we are told concerning our Lord, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to as many as believed on his name. Then if I have received Christ Jesus into my heart, I am a child of God. That reception is described in the same verse as believing on the name of Jesus Christ. If then I believe on Jesus Christ's name, that is, Simply, from my heart, trust myself with the crucified but now exalted Redeemer. I am a member of the family of the Most High. Whatever else I may not have, if I have this, I have the privilege to become a child of God. Our Lord Jesus puts it in another shape. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Here is the matter in a nutshell. Christ appears as a shepherd to his own sheep, not to others. As soon as he appears, his own sheep perceive him, they trust him, they are prepared to follow him. He knows them, and they know him. There is a mutual knowledge, there is a constant connection between them. Thus the one mark, the sure mark, the infallible mark of regeneration and adoption, is a hearty faith in the appointed Redeemer. Reader, are you in doubt? Are you uncertain whether you bear the secret mark of God's children? Then let not an hour pass over your head till you have said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Trifle not here, I adjure you. If you must trifle anywhere, let it be about some secondary matter, your health, if you will, or the title deeds of your estate. But about your soul, your never-dying soul and its eternal destinies, I beseech you to be in earnest. Make sure work for eternity. Morning, December the 23rd. Friend, go up higher. Luke chapter 14, verse 10. When first the life of grace begins in the soul, we do indeed draw near to God. But it is with great fear and trembling the soul, conscious of guilt and humbled thereby, is overawed with the solemnity of its position. It is cast to the earth by a sense of the grandeur of Jehovah, in whose presence it stands. With unfeigned bashfulness, it takes the lowest room. But in afterlife, as the Christian grows in grace, 
although he will never forget the solemnity of his position, and will never lose that holy awe which must encompass a gracious man when he is in the presence of God, who can create or can destroy. Yet his fear has all its terror taken out of it. It becomes a holy reverence, and no more an overshadowing dread. He is caught up higher, to greater access to God in Christ Jesus. Then the man of God, walking amid the splendors of deity, and veiling his face like the glorious cherubim with those twin wings, the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ, will, reverent and bowed in spirit, approach the throne. And seeing there a God of love, of goodness and of mercy, he will realize rather the covenant character of God than his absolute deity. He will see in God rather his goodness than his greatness, and more of his love than of his majesty. Then will the soul, bowing still as humbly as aforetime, enjoy a more sacred liberty of intercession. For while prostrate before the glory of the infinite God, it will be sustained by the refreshing consciousness of being in the presence of boundless mercy and infinite love and by the realization of acceptance in the Beloved. Thus the believer is bidden to come up higher, and is enabled to exercise the privilege of rejoicing in God, and drawing near to Him in holy confidence, saying, Abba, Father. So may we go from strength to strength, and daily grow in grace, till in thine image raised at length we see thee face to face. Evening, December the 23rd. The night also is thine. Psalm 74, verse 16. Yes, Lord, thou dost not abdicate thy throne when the sun goeth down, nor dost thou leave the world all through these long wintry nights to be the prey of evil. Thine eyes watch us as the stars, and thine arms surround us as the zodiac belts the sky. The dews of kindly sleep and all the influences of the moon are in thy hand, and the alarms and solemnities of night are equally with thee. This is very sweet to me, when watching through the midnight hours, or tossing to and fro in anguish, there are precious fruits put forth by the moon, as well as by the sun. May the Lord make me to be a favoured partaker in them. The night of affliction is as much under the arrangement and control of the Lord of love as the bright summer days, when all is bliss. Jesus is in the tempest. His love wraps the night about itself as a mantle. But to the eye of faith, the sable robe is scarce a disguise. From the first watch of the night, even unto the break of day, the eternal watcher observes his saints and overrules the shades and dews of midnight for his people's highest good. We believe in no rival deities of good and evil contending for the mastery, but we hear the voice of Jehovah saying, I create light, and I create darkness. I, the Lord, do all these things. Gloomy seasons of religious indifference and social sin are not exempted from the divine purpose. When the altars of truth are defiled and the ways of God forsaken, the Lord's servants weep with bitter sorrow, but they may not despair. 
for the darkest eras are governed by the Lord, and shall come to their end at his bidding. What may seem defeat to us may be victory to him. Though enwrapped in gloomy night, we perceive no ray of light, since the Lord himself is here, tis not meet that we should fear. End of December the 17th through to December the 23rd Recording by Dave Krasnoyarsk, Russia www.witman.ru